Hey everybody, and welcome to another Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. The show that takes you on a deep dive of the happenings in and around the hospitality community. So um, if you're new here, hi, thanks so much for joining us. And if you're old here, well, just tune in for a couple seconds while I tell people why they should be here. So I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for the last 20 years. Everything you need to know about DC is going on in the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you absolutely everything that's happening. Events, restaurant openings, promotions, you name it, it's all in there and it's all free. All you have to do is check it out and you'll know exactly what's going on. Of course, you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, threads, and of course, YouTube, because this show, Industry Night, is on YouTube. Every Sunday, tune in to David and I, that's my husband. We do Foodie and the Beast, the only food and wine variety show here in the DC market. We've been on air for just 15 years now. And lastly, here we are at Industry Night. So um, as you can see, we are at the gorgeous point down at Buzzards Point. Greg Caston and his team have generously hosted us for the month of November. So we've had a residency here and we've got to do all the things here eat terrific oysters, sit out in front of a fire pit, hang out with a terrific cocktail. One of my camera guys got some short ribs. So the food is delicious, the sights are beautiful, and if you have not yet been here, you should definitely be checking it out. Okay, so at this part of the show, I always tell you where I've been and what I've been doing. And if you follow me on Insta, you certainly know I'm out and about. Uh, but you will notice that I haven't been out and about locally. I was kind of out of the country for a week. So um, I took my tush to St. Martin to sun it for a week during Thanksgiving. That's our new family tradition. And it's not so bad. We go to a place that I hate to share with anybody because it's kind of a little gem and a little secret and not a lot of people know about it. And if I tell you, you're all going to want to go because um, it's really fabulous. So Okay, I'll tell you. Anyway, it's this little place called uh, Grand Cas Beach Club. It's on the crescent inside Grand Cas. Grand Cas is on the French side of St. Martin, and it's in this little town of Grand Cas. It's all French and Caribbean restaurants, and the hotel is not posh. It is not luxurious, but it is on the ocean. When you go to sleep at night, you hear the water lapping up right underneath your window. It's very special. Every day you walk into town, we personally stop at um, the Maison du Chocolat, where we get all of our pastries like the croissants and empanadas and delicious chocolates. And then we go to the boulangerie and get our French bread. We pick up a little bit of cheese. We hang out on, on the beach all day. Maybe we walk back into town later. Maybe we don't, but every night we go back in town for one of the fabulous French meals. So I'm just gonna tell you some of the places we went to. We always go to one of the Lolo's, which are the shacks. Uh, that's always like our first night deal. We go to Talk of the Town. That's where you get lobster and ribs and chicken. And it's just occurring to me that they do it on a grill. And I'm talking to people later on about barbecuing. So maybe there's a little segue there. And I told you about our warm croissants that we pick up every day. Oh, and pro tip get the iced um, cappuccinos because they're like dessert. They're so yummy. Um, 
tuna all the ways at Rainbow Cafe that is right on the beach. Loud music, amazing vibe, um, and incredible sushi. The gold-flecked caviar-topped uh, tartare at La Pressoir is probably one of the best dishes I've had all year. Strands of pasta topped with burrata at Spica. I know you don't expect an Italian restaurant there in the heart of Grand Coste, but there is one and it's delicious. And lastly, the Bistro Nome is such a darling place. I mean, most of these places are family run, uh, but the people who run it are just lovely and darling. And they do a fabulous tuna and wahoo carpaccio that is... Um, it's just so good and I really want to go back. So um, if you haven't had the opportunity to head to St. Martin, it is just a, a breath of lovely fresh air and uh, lowers your blood pressure and it's a great place to get away. Okay, so now I'm back in DC. I'm here at the point. It's beautiful. It's not St. Martin beautiful, but it's very nice. And um, I want to get on to today's show. So barbecue, BBQ, barbecue. What, what do you consider barbecue to be? Um, is it just an outdoor meal? Is it proteins roasted over wood or charcoal? High heat, low heat? Um, what about all the styles too? You've got Texas, Central Texas, Carolina, Memphis. I mean, what does all that mean? And honestly, if you think about it, in the DC market, there hasn't been a lot of barbecue here until kind of recently, like in the last five to 10 years, we've seen an influx of barbecue places. But prior to that, there really wasn't a lot here if you wanted really good barbecue. So that leads me to my guests today because they're doing really good barbecue, but their story is fascinating. So Debbie Gonzalez uh, was on Foodie and the Beast over the summer because she they are opening up a new restaurant. She came in to tell us all about it. But that's where I started hearing more about her story. And I was like, oh, where's your husband? She's like, oh, I left him at home. So I was like, well, I want to get both of you on the show. So Fernando Gonzalez, who is also the pit master and a former civil engineer, um, you guys decided to get in barbecue, but that is not where you started. You started in El Salvador, you met as teenagers, and you decided one day to build a smoker. That's about where where I left off. So, hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for have, um, joining me today. So, I'd love to know a little bit about your growing up in El Salvador and how, I know your family is in the restaurant industry, but I want to get a better idea of what that means. What was growing up in El Salvador like for you? Okay. Thank you so much for having us. I'm very excited. Um, we don't have to go back to El Salvador in the 80s. El Salvador in the 80s was all about the Civil War. That's when we were both war, uh, born. Okay. We were born during the war and we were both raised as children of the war, as many, many Salvadorians that now live in the United States can relate to. And my family had or has a restaurant. It's called Tipicos Margot and it's all about Salvadorian food. My grandma, she established this in a market in 1962. <laughs> And she was a remarkable woman in the sense that she only went to second grade. That's grade school, second grade. And she built this restaurant chain, let's call it, from the ground up. How many spaces? Right now we have 13. Wow. My family has 13. And, but she knew nothing except she had an innate talent for food. Okay. And 
my aunt, she had six children, so she had a lot to work for. Sure. And my aunts and my uncles, they all grew up in the worst part of the war in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And then all my cousins came in and it was just, it is a close-knit family. And we all grew up in the restaurant. And by that, I mean, when we went, when we finished school, my parents would drop me off at the restaurant. I would wait until they finished whatever they had to do. And then we go back home. So there was this little table that my cousins and I used to call the VIP table. We would, we would all do our homework. Okay. That was the VIP table. And during the weekends, my weekends were doing shifts at the restaurant. During the summers, my dad would send me with my aunt so that I could learn how to cook. Okay. I mean, he had high hopes <laughs> that I would really work in the restaurant okay. in the future. So, so let's talk about what the restaurant served. What kind of food? Exclusively Salvadorian food, pupusas, okay tamales, nuegados, everything. El Salvador, even though it's a small country, it's got its regions. Sure. So my grandmother was from from the West. We are all from the West. And- Are you from the West? I'm from the opposite side. You are, okay. So- Hold on one second. Can you hear him? He's okay, you can hear him well? Okay, sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. Okay, thank you. Sorry, I just want to make sure you sound so we are from the West and my grandmother started researching about other regions and how to include those plates in her restaurant. Oh, wow. So she started hiring the best cooks that she knew that could teach how to make that regional dish and taught to my aunt who is now the head chef. So it was all very, it's just, she was so talented. She was actually one of the, was it 100 women? Most like, influential women in Central America over the last 50 years. In the last 50 years. That's, she was unfortunately, she, she, she it was incredible. Unfortunately, she died suddenly in 2013, but she left such a strong sense of commitment to the restaurant industry to my entire family. And but those restaurants still exist today. They do, they do. It is. It is awesome. They are. And expanded. Yes. I am very proud of my, my aunts and my uncles and my dad. I am very proud of where they are now because when she died so suddenly, it was all, they had to just jump in. And I've also had this incredible, strong women in my family that has, have taught resilience to me. And that leads us to where we were in 2017. Where right, I don't want you to jump ahead to 2017 okay. yet because I want to know when you both met. Oh my you goodness! Were on the East Coast, <laughs> right? You weren't on the West Coast. Uh, no, I was. I was born on the opposite side of the country, but at the time we met, we were living uh, pretty close to the capital. In the same city. Yeah. Okay. It's called Very Santa Tecla. That's yeah. my town. Okay. Yeah. I love my town. Did you know her restaurant when you met her? Um, I was unable to afford it at that time. Okay. Yes. But you did know it. But I, 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 I didn't know the brand. I did yeah. know the brand. And had you had interest? Because you're a civil engineer, right? Trained that civil is correct. Engineer. Yes. So yes. where, so just give me a little background on your family, how you got, like, I want to know, like, did you grow up around food? Did you love food? Like, where, where is your passion from? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Uh, my father's an accountant. I'm a civil engineer. Uh, right. As David mentioned. Uh, we were born and raised during the Civil War, and mm -hmm. um, I 
I wouldn't say I was poor, but food was scarce, especially towards the final stage of the war when we were unable to receive uh, fruits, vegetables, and all the products fresh from sure. the rural areas of the country. You know, um, War got into the city and we were kind of insulated. Mm. So we, you got to be creative and, and you got to be in the kitchen probably experimenting or trying something new just because that's all that was left. Right, for work that with day. what you had. Your mom yes. is really creative. She, yeah. she she's would a good take, cook. She's yeah. a good cook. Yeah, yeah. She would take whatever she has and make a plate out of it. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And, um, you know, uh, during the Civil War, we also had one earthquake and coming out of the war, we had another earthquake, major earthquake in, in El Salvador. Oh my goodness. So again, you, you, you just gotta be creative. Yeah, yes. for sure. And I understood pretty early in my in my life that the only way out of poverty was studying and mm -hmm. uh, pursuing an academic training. And that's that's what I did, you know. Um, but at a certain point, it was pretty disappointing to Working on this to be working on this project for six months and then delivering this amazing project, mm -hmm. and that project was already given under the table to somebody else because of the high levels of corruption we also have. Oh, in El Salvador. So it was it was pretty disappointing from all perspectives, you know, from the violence, from the economic, from education, all those main indicators uh, we were lacking. El Salvador was a tough country in the early two thousands when we met. Uh, we met in was year two thousand. Through mutual friends. Mm -hmm. I was 14, he was 18, and we been we were friends and started dating when I was 18. Okay. And he was 22. Is that the story? That's the story. Okay, we're go gonna ahead. tell everybody. Yes, you have that story. Go ahead. <laughs> My husband's 20 years older than me. So I mean seriously, like no judgment whatsoever. It's four years. But go ahead. Um, we met and we we always had this entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. Um and um, we like to be hosts yeah, too yeah. and we got married really quickly we got married when i was 20. okay that's the story that we're going to tell our daughter too of course i was 20. i'm here for it and um we were always hosts in our in our house mm -hmm. we always had a grill and our family would come and eat and it was all about the hospitality and we were known and we're still known for our dinner parties okay yeah. I want an invite. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, okay. So you're living in El Salvador. You, based on what I'm hearing from you, you were not happy. You felt, you felt like you put in the work, mm -hmm. you got your degree mm -hmm. yeah. and, but you could not get ahead, right? Exactly. You, you had bigger ideas. So totally, what brought totally. you to Austin? So we were entrepreneur in this small shipping company, which mm -hmm. was pretty much transporting uh, documentation, parcels, um, yeah, parcels, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Sometimes smuggling food into the United States and out of the United States. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. Um, <laughs> it feels like it was necessary. Nostalgic food, you know. Yes. Um, with all these immigration waves coming out and there's so many Salvadorians out. here that crave yeah. things from El Salvador. So we had that. We had that shipping yeah. company in which we would bring things from El Salvador to the United States in our suitcases. Exactly. And people would buy, buy the pound, and then we would go back and give their family yeah. stuff. It was just like that. But I'm I mean, like, that like, hasn't changed because, I mean, I have, like, friends who, like, my girlfriend is from Antigua. When she goes to the islands, she goes with two suitcases exactly. filled with stuff. And exactly. then she comes back with two suitcases, you know? Mm -hmm. Things you miss right, from, of course. from other countries. 
and I had my full-time job, Debbie as well. But we were, you know, we were kind of pursuing major things, as you said. And looking at the future and thinking about um, growing the family, mm -hmm. and you will only see uncertainty on the horizon. Mm. So that's when you really start questioning yourself about your reality and what's going to happen in the next 10 years. That was okay. our mental state when yeah. we when he visited Austin. Right. So like exactly. you just... That's my point. Like, we are uh -huh. setting the stage. Like, you had this moment, yeah. and then you had barbecue? Like, what? I need to know more. So, I was traveling to different cities in the United States. I would go to New York. I would go to Los Angeles. I would uh -huh. go to the DMV area. And I received this large car parts uh, order coming from Dallas, being stationed in Austin. And I was I was uh, picking up this large car parts um, shipment from Austin, going to El Salvador. Um, and I went there and the shipment was not ready. Okay. I was going day in, day out. It was just not ready or, you know, incomplete. Or I ended up staying in Austin for a longer time than I was expecting. Okay. So I just Googled what to do in Austin. I'm here. Eat. And top of the list were like at least four or five barbecue tours. Take a barbecue tour. Right. Go to the uh, Central Texas area and get to know all these amazing places. So... That's what I did. And keep in mind, coming from El Salvador, we have direct heat, grilling. We have asado. That's barbecue for us. Right. Barbacoa. Right. That's like right over high heat. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like over the cold. Yes. But all of a sudden, I was entering into these smokehouses with indirect uh, cooking and this smoking environments and amazing food platters. And uh, what really shocked me was... The hospitality around barbecue. I was like sneaking into the back of the smokehouse door, and they were like, "Come on in, man!" And you know, what do you want to know? Take a picture. You know, right. this is your wood. This is your fire. This is our firebox. And I was like, "I'm coming from El Salvador, a place that is very aggressive to my human condition," mm -hmm. and I was being welcomed into the hospitality industry in Central Texas. I think wow. it was a culture shock. That was that was a call. And also, I bet. As a civil engineer, I imagine how cool it must have been to see the whole smokehouse well, the workings, workings of uh -huh. it. Yeah. So, like, when I read your bio, that's where my head went. Like, I see as a civil engineer what would be appealing to you, the processes, right? And putting yeah. together a smoker and all that. But what I love hearing from you is that you were in a distressed place at your home. But this was so welcoming mm -hmm. and inviting that you were like, I need to make this my life. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's really amazing. Yes. So when you came home and told your wife, we're changing everything, what'd I, she say? <laughs> I came back with Aaron Franklin's book, Sign, uh -huh. and it contained a few graphics, a few uh, a images on too. how to, and a brisket. I, right. I, I brought a whole chill brisket, and I was carrying this book, and I said- It was I like said, your Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Barbecue Manifesto. Yeah. And I said, we should do this here. And most likely, this is what we're going to do. And she's very supportive. She's, she's been always supportive. She probably rejected the idea it, it for the first two hours. A few hours, But then yeah. I hosted this dinner in which I regenerated this brisket from uh, Franklin's Barbecue. Uh -huh. And that was also uh, a change in her mentality. Yes, yeah. because I hadn't tasted brisket before in my life. I had sure. no idea what he meant. Well, just so you understand, for, for me with brisket, I'm Jewish. And growing up, we had brisket 
like two or three times a year, mostly on the Jewish holidays. Okay. And it's cooked slow and low, but like in liquid. Yes. So the very first time I had Texas brisket, I was like, what? Uh I was like, I I didn't, it was like my mind was blown. I felt like somebody had been hiding something from me for a very long time. That's exactly how we both felt. He had already tried it uh, in person, but I hadn't. So he reheated that brisket and called a a couple. They were our friends and sat us on the table and said, this is why I want to make this my life and started cutting the brisket the way he had seen people cut it Mm. and served it. I still have those pictures and I tasted it and it was like an out of body experience. How and why is this like, why is it tasting like this? Right. And then he explained the whole smoke and the wood and all this. And I thought, this is something that El Salvador doesn't have. Mm. This is new. That's when your restaurant background clicked, right? Yes. Sure. Yes, it clicked because then I realized I know I can do this because he's going to need help, but I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I know my family is going to support me because they are all about. Right. You already had the foundation. (laughs) Like like you both had different foundations to grow within it. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of curious. Can we talk about the science of smoking? Versus like asado, right? Which is just high heat and just cooking at a very high temperature. And and what you learned about, like, as you built a smoker, like, what were the things that you were learning? Because it sounds like you were learning as you were going. Right. And and that was another challenge for me because there was a language barrier in there. You know, all sure. the barbecue information that I had access to, videos, um, it was all podcasts, in English. Or, 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 Engl- sure. or, or books were in English. So I had to figure out a way to manipulate the firebox and the smokestack or figure out the stall. What the hell is a stall? I was like, well, what does, you know, right. what's, what's that? Um, and, and probably briskets were terrible at that time. I'm sure they were, they were but I was learning. You know, mm-hmm. It's a learning crew and we're still learning. Sure. Um, but at the same time, that's part of the, uh, that's part of the journey, you know, mm-hmm. how to transform this tough piece of meat that comes from the from from a, a cow shoulder right. into something succulent. You know, I, I truly enjoy the process and, and trying it out. Um, also, keep in mind we don't have um, the high quality beef that we have access to here in the United States. Mm. I was pretty much traveling through the country asking butchers or asking you know dumb questions for people like. Do you know a brisket? What a brisket is, and they're like, "Oh no!" Well, we but call that's that. one of the things yeah. I was going to ask. Like, is that a cut that is used in El Salvador? <laughs> no, right? No, no. It is not, not at we all. Were, not at all. We went to butcher shops with pictures and videos to show the butcher how to cut yeah. the brisket. Oh my out god, of that's cow. crazy! Yeah, that was completely yeah. Sometimes. It took it took a few it took months. Some time, yeah, time. it took a few and then, months. Yeah, we we started feeling comfortable with a few different um, suppliers, meat suppliers. The meat suppliers and, came in. They, when they understood what we wanted, yeah. they started importing that cut from the states because yeah. we couldn't have that in El Salvador. The, the yeah. cows are, are just lean. Yeah. Very just expensive stuff. We were sure. unable to find the proper wood, the proper location. I was uh, building my own smoker, putting it in my backyard, mm. having the police calling in my door. What are you doing here, man? Are you running a cafeteria? We have complaints for neighbors. What's um, going on? And I was like, I'm just cooking for family and friends. Would you like to try some? Right. And sharing barbecue chicken with the policeman at my door 
Um, but at the same time, we were also looking at people's reaction. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's when uh, my brother-in-law, who is a genius when it comes to strategic designing for businesses, mm-hmm. he said, let's put the product out and see what happens. Okay. And we were probably not seasoned in our barbecue still, but we had this amazing response from mainly the uh, U.S. expat community living in Salvador. Oh, I bet. We happen to have the largest U.S. embassy in Central America. Mm-hmm. Again, because of so many years of all this U.S. Salvador relationship. And they were missing barbecue. I, mm. I clearly remember yeah. one customer direct messaging us and saying, I am from Texas. I work at the embassy. I heard you guys are smoking. Is it real? Real? Huh? Real smokers? Send me pictures of, Can you, I of see the smokers. the pictures? Yeah, because yeah. Oh, yeah, they're serious. Yes. Yeah. Do you know and, what I mean? Oh, it's like, yeah. You do not want to call... Texas style barbecue, something right. that it's not Texas well, so, style. Okay, so let's Texan. sort of go on a, let's just go off for a bit. What is Texas style barbecue? What is it? That is a very, very good question. Um, there are many definitions out there. Mine is cooking with 100% wood mm-hmm. without the intervention of gas or electricity. Okay. High quality meats low and slow mm-hmm. and season mainly salt and pepper okay that's it so that's no mopping like, no sauces no, nothing no, that's it's all about on the, the side smell. it's optional always but we're pursuing this highly seasoned um uh, barky textures um and overall also woods that are texas related you know, either oak mesquite okay um or, you know, oak has so many varieties. We use white oak in here. It's, it's what we have available. But I will never probably use applewood for Texas-style barbecue. Okay. Yeah. There are just some, some the, signatures in there. Just because yeah. of the flavor it would exactly. impart. Exactly. So how did you expand? Which came first? The expansion of, like, trying different products, like chicken? And did you go to pork? Like, how did you expand the products and then did you open a brick and mortar in El Salvador? We didn't. We never did. Okay. We had like a catering service and it would all be mm. by the by orders. So okay. we would fill out a full it would fit out a form and we would deliver it all during the weekends. Okay. And then during the weekdays we get our orders and deliver it during the weekend and that was it for months. And once that person from the embassy realized that it was good product he told the Everybody. entire embassy. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Maybe right. they have like an intranet or something. Right. And then we started delivering to all these fancy houses yeah. in, in around the embassy. And we crazy. were getting selling out. Really yeah. crazy. It I was mean, three this, briskets when we were yeah. selling out. It was crazy. I mean, you have this temperature control product. Right. And you're trying to access through these huge gated communities with armed guards Oi. who are asking for your documentation, exchanging, calling someone. Right. It was you're like, come on, man, let me in. I'm just delivering right. brisket. I'm just delivering brisket, <laughs> right. Um, this that is was before part of the, the days of Uber, right? Yeah, Uber I think it was exactly. way before Uber Eats. Yeah. And it was way before uh, reheating at home was something um, that came, became popular because we would vacuum seal the meats because we knew how fast barbecue dries out. Sure. So we started vacuum vacuum sealing. The way that he brought so the first So did you vacuum seal it while it was hot? While uh, it well, was well, it was rested. Yeah, it was rested okay. already, yes. We would yes. slice so we, we, we would cook all night 
and then um, let all the barbecue to go down to serve it temperature. Sure. Resting, fully rested, and then cutting, slicing, portioning, vacuum sealing, and dispatch. Wow. So it was, it was a lot cold. of work. It was a lot of work, but it was fun. And yeah. it was something new. It was different. And it, it, it just worked. Okay, so then what brings you to the States? Because you moved here in 2018. Yes, that was... Which was, like, not like... <laughs> it's not, like, the most welcoming time in D.C. history. Like, the United <laughs> States history. It was yes. not an easy time to come here. No, it was not. It was during the Trump administration that we applied for our work visas. Okay. And we but were... But with thinking that you're going to open up your own business? Yes, that was the whole, the whole plan. And why D.C. of all the places? Well, because of that shipping company, we had visited New York, we had visited LA, we had visited Texas, and we thought that this area, the DMV area, didn't have the barbecue that we could provide. They didn't. I mean, they, it, that was a fact. We literally looked at the map and said, right. where can we go that we think this could work? And there are a few places, as you said. Yeah, there's a um, few. But I don't know who's doing, I don't know if anybody is doing Texas. Back then... Back then, they didn't have offset smokers. Okay. So we looked at it. For and the said, layperson, explain offset smokers. Smokers that don't use electricity or gas. Smokers that only use wood. Okay. Yes. It takes a lot of knowledge to to cook in those smokers. Well, because yes. to me, like smoking with just wood, without any help, mm -hmm. it's almost like sous vide. You're really, like, it's the same, or confection in some way, right? Yeah. It's the same sort of concept. And it's babysitting your <laughs> right. food for 12, 14 hours. I mean, it's yes. labor-intensive. It really is. You really got to understand um, how convection works in this gigantic 1,000-gallon barrel mm -hmm. to be able to pull out a good product. And offset smokers also relate to the way that this huge convection chamber doesn't have any heating elements inside. Right. Because you can call it a Texas-style barbecue, but you're still using gas or electricity-assisted rotisserie-style elements in which you will switch or automate your temperature, mm -hmm. and then you're still low and slow cooking, you're still using some wood, but it's assisted by these heating elements. And okay. that's okay. That's fine. It's just that we were unable to find a 100% handcrafted, no gas, no electricity, barbecue in the air back in the day. We sure. wanted, the original plan was to find a place where we would be able to put my family's restaurant industry franchise and at the same time, Fernando, who was not involved in that, could right. have his barbecue. Okay. So we were, we were going to do both. But like you said, in 2018, things were looking a little complicated towards immigration here sure. in the states so when our immigration attorney realized and figured out the way to go she said you have to prove to the government to this current administration that whatever you're going to do is going to work and it's going to work fast because we don't have much time and well, that's not an easy guarantee no it is not my god and my family's restaurant franchise was gonna take a while because franchises the first one is very hard to establish but so you were gonna open the first franchise yes, here in hopes of selling more franchises that was, yes, the, hope that was the goal yes okay. that was the goal so we pivoted and said let's open a small stand at the farmer's market first for barbecue because that will let us have some kind of income sure because we weren't gonna 
right. burn through cash. What cash? I mean, right. we had to do something in order for us to survive. We had a daughter. So the Thursday after Thanksgiving in 2018, we opened that stand mm -hmm. at the farmer's market in Riverdale Park for barbecue. And that was it. We just never looked back. The my family's restaurant business was put on pause because the other business really it's took off. off. Exactly. Was that a surprise for you? I mean, going um, to a farmer's market, I mean, the just culturally, do you know what I mean? Going right. to Riverdale Park and mm. I, it's just such a, it sounds like a unique experience given what you were coming from in El Salvador. Right. Um, when we were ready to open at the farmer's market in Riverdale Park, we already traveled and experiment and prototype and research a lot throughout Texas okay. with Debbie. Mm -hmm. And by looking at the reaction of the different communities in Texas regarding what happens when a barbecue joint opens in that community, we were hopeful. Okay. We were hopeful. And, and we were not wrong. There's something special about barbecue. I think there's something special about fire. Mm -hmm. If we light up a fire right here, chances are we're going to have a lot of people gathering around us. Well, like there's the, time, so. listen, we're sitting in a restaurant right yeah. now. There is a fire over there. We yeah. can all hear it. Yes. And every time they throw something on that grill, we can smell it. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, it's, it, it engages your entire senses, yeah. you know? Totally. So we were kind of expecting that. Okay. But. It definitely. Uh, now, did you bring your smoker to the farmer's market? No, no we, were, no. we were cooking. So, um, simultaneously, we were exploring uh, a small pizza shop that was pretty close to the farmer's market. Okay. And it had a dining space next to it. And uh, the landlord it, actually approached us and exactly. said, this would be a great space for your future restaurant because you're not going to stay at the farmer's market forever. And we exactly. were like, okay, thank you very much for your suggestion. Let's go check that out. Right. And it, it actually ended up being a really good space. It had a lot of storage. It had parking. It had a lot of the, it because took I a lot. the smoker has to be yes. outside. It, it had has space outside. Yes. Space for the, for the, uh, for the smokehouse to build out the smokehouse. Right. So that's where we stationed our first 500 gallon smoker wow. from Meadow Creek coming, coming from Pennsylvania. We started cooking there, and we will serve across the train tracks. Okay. Yeah. And the landlord was very um, adamant that the pizza shop had to be part of the deal. Okay. <laughs> he wanted his daughter to retire, and that's what she did. So she sold the pizza place to us, let us have the whole space for us, and that's where we are right now. Right. We closed the pizza shop because that was not the... The yeah, purpose of it all. Obviously. And now the whole space, it's 250 barbecue in Riverdale Park. Okay. It was right across where we started from the train track. So that whole space is there. Yes. And then you opened up a stall in Union Market. Yes. Okay. Now, so when you opened up the Riverdale space, or was it the, which one opened up in 2020? That one. The April dining space of, uh, yes, that one. So yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. But, but yeah. honestly, even though that's, that was tough. I feel like you're already built for what the pandemic needed because you were already yeah. doing delivery. Like you were already in El Salvador yes. getting the food to people. Vacuum sealed. It's, vacuum it's, sealed it's and, funny. and needed, right? It's so interesting how life prepares you for certain things right. later in your, your life. Um, vacuum sealing, delivering, 
pivoting and having Debbie so knowledgeable about the industry mm -hmm. I was able to pretty much change the whole business model overnight. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, totally. So as you guys are expanding, can we talk about the menu a little bit? Is that all you? Is that all you? Is it a combination of things? Because as I told you when I saw you, when Debbie came on Foodie and the Beast, I had the smoked feta. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful cheese. Like it's, <laughs> it's transcendent. It's totally different from what you would think of any feta. I'm sort of curious, like how you guys are coming up with what's on there. You're making your own sauces. So you have, you, there's all these things now that are layering on top. So I'm kind of curious how that menu growth is happening for you. I think the, the, the meat is all you. I have absolutely nothing to say or to contribute to the meats because okay. it, it takes a lot of engineering in his mind to see how and how long and where in the smoker is this protein going to go sure. to cook its best, to its best possibility. Mm -hmm. But with the sides, because we are both Salvadorian, we both come from El Salvador, we haven't been born here, we started cooking things that we were familiar with. Mm. So the fried plantains, Which that was like something them, right? very natural for us. Uh -huh. Or our beans, the brisket beans, there's red Central American beans with brisket. And we have never tried to be something that we're not. Our menu reflects who we are. Uh -huh. And I think that's what makes us, um, I don't want to say different, but it just, it, you, it, catches people's eye when they see the menu they're like why on earth would you sell a caramelized pineapple on a barbecue place because that is our dessert pineapple right. on the grill with honey that would be a dessert in central america in any country and it's just natural so that's how we started including some of our own recipes or family recipes into the menu and perfectioning them because sure. it's, it's different when you cook at home than when you cook at the restaurant of course but people didn't, at the beginning, understand that. They demanded their potato salad and their fries. and Because they're like, this is, a, it's Texas. Yes. It's American. Yes. Right. But sometimes you, get don't, something but sometimes more American. you don't have to give the people what they want. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you, yeah. they need to be introduced to other we things. We compromise, I agree. On our menu, uh -huh. half of the menu says traditional sides, and then you can find the coleslaw and the potato salad okay. and sweet potato mash. And You're other. nicer than I am. I'd be like, no, no, no. <laughs> this Go somewhere is what else. I want. Right. On the other side, we have heritage sides. Mm. And then they will see the tahini green beans, and they will see my beans and any other side that we And so now heritage. that you're here, what are you seeing? Are you seeing like a 50-50? I'm like, I'm sort of curious. Like once yeah. people see it like that, are they like, oh... I should yeah, have this. That's a very good question. I, I think I people think, choose one yeah. of each side. They want to try. 50-50. Yeah, they're more open now. They're more okay. open It was very now. challenging yes. when we opened. Mm. And uh, a lot of one-star reviews about, oh, they don't have color greens. Yes. I love color greens. Uh, it's right. just something that I don't feel mine. Right. Or my own. And we don't want to um, pretend something that we're yeah. not. No, and I really appreciate that. And I think, I think sharing that as part of your story yeah. of why you're not serving them, mm -hmm. you know, is, in, is actually a really good conversation topic with your consumer, you know, like, Absolutely. I know you want those collard greens, but I can't make your grandmother's collard greens. And we exactly. can't, you know, exactly. and then you're going to be really disappointed. I literally had to look in Google to see what are collard greens because I had no idea of course, what they why, are. How would you? Right. 
Of course. I so totally I, I, we sense. were not going to pretend uh, to cook things that are not that we're not experts on. Mm -hmm. But then there are I, so many great places here in DC where you can find great collard. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you just totally. don't go to the fifty. Right. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and and then uh, something happened because we we. Um, at the same time, we were prototyping and developing our mm -hmm. barbecue pupusas. Yes. Which is stuff with brisket, pulled pork. I mix the three cheeses. I mean, it sounds terrible. Salsa, coleslaw, <laughs> curtido. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. And at the same time, we were serving pupusas on a Sunday, uh, bringing our own tropical flavors into the menu. And the first Washington Post list uh, towards the end of 2020 came out. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it's at 250 is American. 250 is Latin American. It's heads, hands down the best smokehouse in the area. Wow. Tim Carmen, Washington Post, mm -hmm. um, November 2020. That was, was that life changing? Like, oh, it man. Was. What's I going bet. on? I it was picking brisket. I was loading briskets on my van. Um, Debbie it was life changing. And then she said, We're number one. We're number one. What are you talking about? Um, and she explained to me, and 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 I think from that point, people who will come to the restaurant, they had a more open mind on mm -hmm. what to expect. Well, I think that's my point, right? So if a person doesn't know your story, but they go in and they can't just get it from the menu, they're going to ask the questions: Where where's what I'm used to when I have barbecue? But now, you know, if Tim or somebody else, um, Gabe wrote a great story about you guys when you yes, first opened too. Um, you know, somebody else can share your story and then people are like, oh, yeah. so I could have this experience, you know? Absolutely. It's absolutely. an experience, absolutely. It was challenging. And, and, and I think even um, amongst um, editors, food editors, mm -hmm. food critics, and even the most famous barbecue editor in the country, Daniel Vaughn, I've seen that switch when it comes to respecting the gastronomic diversity that is reflected now, mm -hmm. that is now being reflected in, in, in Texas-style barbecue. You know, you can call it Texas-style barbecue with Egyptian or Armenian or Laotian or right. Salvadorian influences. Well, that's kind and of... it's still inspiring Texas-style barbecue. Right. You know? I mean, that was kind of my point in the yeah. beginning of the show, that around the world, there is all sorts of different barbecue or yeah. grilling. Everybody does it differently, but it doesn't mean that you can't be influenced or inspired or turned on by other processes, even if it's not um, Traditional. traditionally mm -hmm. to what you do. Exactly. I mean, isn't that the beauty of food? Isn't right? that the beauty of America? Yes, and 100%. America. I yes. love that. I love that in their story, people can see somehow themselves. They can see people have approached me and said, I am so proud of you, um, women speaking in Spanish to me, mm. because I, when I came to this country, I started at a restaurant. I started uh, washing dishes. I started... And I always wanted to put my own restaurant. And now I do. And now I have it. Why don't you come to my pupusteria? Something like that. I it's, love that. I love that, too. I think it's very It's one very of the American. best. I think it's also one of the, to me, talking about the restaurant industry as a, um, as a participant in it and a, and a lover of it, I can't tell you how many stories I hear of people who either grow up with nothing, don't have an education, or immigrated here, whatever it is, started as a dishwasher. You know, mm -hmm. you always sort of hear that story, and now they own 10 restaurants. Like, that's the beauty of the restaurant industry. Your grandmother, mm -hmm. right? I mean, your grandmother had a second-grade education. 
not even in the United States. I mean, she's in El Salvador mm -hmm. and look at the, not only the success that she had, but the generational wealth she was able to pass on to her family. I mean, it's really, it is amazing what the industry can do. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. it's incredible. Okay. So before we wrap up, you guys have a new place coming. Talk He's to me looking about it. pretty. Where He's is so it? Pretty. I know it's in Mount Vernon, but where mm. and how big and what are we talking about and when? This is downtown DC. Yeah. Much. This is on 4th and K Street. Uh, it's a blossoming for restaurants area, I think. It's pretty accessible. 4th and K. 4th and so K. City Vista? City Vista, right in front uh, of City Vista. Okay. Yes, right in All front. Right. Mount Vernon Triangle. Right next to very welcoming. a big joint. Oh, oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, you have a big joint, you have uh, oh, you got Mandu across poets, the street, Mandu, yeah, Belenia. Ottoman Tavern around the corner, yeah. Yes. Oh, and then what's um, Stalina's down? I mean, that's Stalina's like a whole little restaurant, yes. Mecca. Oh, it yeah. is very yeah, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's a second generation restaurant, so everything is pretty much okay. ready to go. But now, can you smoke it's there? We no 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 no, okay. no 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 no. We are going to transport all our proteins from Riverdale Park as of okay. right now, and we'll see what happens later. In the meantime, we have expanded our smokehouse. We have four one thousand gallon smokers. Wow! A yeah. brand new walk-in. Um, it might not be interesting information, but I love our new walk-in. <laughs> it's. The well, place sure is beautiful. It's a, I'm sure the walk-in is a huge investment. <laughs> no. I mean, it's like a diamond ring. Yes. Right? For yes, a family-owned restaurant, it's a huge investment. For yes, sure. I have no doubt. And um, we all, it's 80, how many seats? 82. 82 okay. seats. Outdoor yeah. seating? We outdoor have seating outdoor too. seating. Yes. Wow. Sign is up. Okay. We're waiting for a few inspections. Um, so what do we think? Ish. Uh, January, mid-January. Mid-January, mid -January, hopefully. Wow, won't that be exciting? Yeah. And it's it's going to be in the middle of winter, but that's okay. Because there's yeah. plenty of indoor seating. and Yeah, and people want barbecue year-round. Year-round, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, we're cooking 18 minutes away from one location to the other. Mm -hmm. We're all familiar, I think, with the commissary kitchen concept. Mm -hmm. This is a commissary smokehouse, pretty much. I mean... Yeah, you cook everything... And especially at 4 a.m. on a six-hour time frame that the brisket takes to rest. Sure. What difference 18 it minutes It doesn't things. make any so difference. This, this, this comes after a long, thoughtful so process and prototyping. What I'm hearing from you is, is that do you think people have a problem if it's not cooked on premise? Hmm. Not necessarily. I don't no, think they just, do. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. Maybe if people want to see the smokehouse, they should go to Riverdale Park. Yeah. Okay. As that of makes right sense. Now, if they want to so have that experience. Keep Riverdale Park. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's the OG. And, yeah. But will you maintain Union Market or is no. that wrapping up? Wrapping up January 1st. Okay. And then yeah. hopefully mid January, mm -hmm. the new space. Yes. yes. Okay. We're also very yes. proud that when we are able to open DC, some of our staff have been promoted to the head chef at DC or the branch manager. People that have been working for us for two or three years have been promoted. They're all very excited. They're, they're all about the brand. It's all like a, I, it's very common to say this, but it's, we are like a family in the sense that we all grew up through the pandemic. We, Grew up together. Yeah. Well, you from started scratch. this business mm -hmm. together. Yes, you know? yes, we like did. Some of our employees that were laid off during the pandemic, sure. sadly, they came to us. They mm -hmm. stayed. Mm -hmm. They were being called from former employees, and they never went back. They're four, four years with us now. It's terrific. They're pretty happy, and 
we're happy to, to, to have them too. One of them is about to finish her um, fourth year in college as an accountant. Oh. And I think that's one of the things that I'm also very proud of, that we are able to have some of the students that when they finished um, in 2020, the high school, mm-hmm. they wanted a job, but they couldn't find one. Sure. They started working at the restaurant and I, we pushed them to continue in, in college. So smart. Yeah. And now they're about to finish college. And, and yeah. it's, it's all amazing. because they've been working part time with us. And I, I think that's also part of the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. It's a business or a model that allows people to work and study or work and take care of their children sure. because of the hours. Yes. So I like that. I like that, too. I think it's amazing. Well, I want to thank you both so much for coming here today and sharing your story with me because it's really it's an incredible story. Thank you. And Thank I'm you. very excited for the new space to open. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you, please, online, on Instagram? Instagram, 250BBQ. 250TexasBBQ, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> um, our website, 250BBQ.com. Oh, you didn't tell me. What does 250 stand for? It's our target temperature. Look at this monkey. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay, if you think about so it, you can sense. bake something at 400 degrees in half an hour. Right. Imagine cooking something low and slow at 250 for 14 hours. Right. That's, that's remarkable. That's what we're all about. I love it. Low and slow. Thank you, Nikki, okay. for having us. Thank, thank you. you for having it's us. It's been a pleasure. Just hold on one sec. I'm going to wrap it up. So thank you for joining me today on uh, this current issue of Industry Night at the gorgeous The Point in uh, downtown D.C. at Buzzards Point. You got all the info now about 250 Barbecue. Um, check them out. Check out their Insta feed. Definitely go, um, if you have not been, and get the feta. I mean, obviously, you should get the brisket, but I'm partial to the feta. Um, and uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Don't forget, any questions that you have, you can DM me or leave questions on the YouTube page or on Instagram. Any way you want to get in touch with me, please do. Don't forget to subscribe to all my different channels on Insta and on YouTube. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on all the things. And uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.